Join me in Joshua chapter 13. It's good to see you all here. Before our 40th anniversary, I started a series entitled Crossing into Canaan, and we were making application of the children of Israel, surpassing 40 years in the wilderness, and then crossing over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And tonight, I'd like to bring that series to a close, and then as 2019 comes to a close. We left off last time with Israel having defeated Ai after the sin in the camp had been dealt with, but first we talked about they were defeated because they didn't pray. Joshua never sought the Lord's direction before the battle against Ai. And I believe if he would have just sought the Lord's direction, the Lord would have showed him that there was sin in the camp and it had to be dealt with. And nothing will tear a church apart quicker than sin in the camp. Amen. And so we, we kind of talked about that and then we talked about how if we get complacent, if we start thinking we have it all figured out, if we aren't careful, we'll just end up trusting the routine of what we do. This is what we do. We know how to do it. We can trust the, the routine of ministry, and we can just pull off a service without ever having the presence of God, and we can just assume if it worked last time, it'll work this time. But we need, we need new manna. We need a fresh anointing. We need to seek God in everything. In the chapters following the battle of Ai, we get a glimpse of the war of Canaan. It's a long time that they fought. We see a list of kings which were defeated. We see how God fought for them. We see how Israel took the land of their possession and we're told how the land was divided up. And for tonight, I want to jump to the end of the wars of Canaan. And I want to consider just a what I call a generational observation we see in the Bible and we can even see today. We've already considered when Joshua and his generation took over from Moses in the first generation. The first generation, we, we studied when Joshua took over from Moses, but the first generation is usually very strong. The things that were put in place, the direction people were heading, usually all of that is steady, it's, it's strong, people understand what's going on, they kind of get it, and the founder is usually still among them, and they know why they're doing what they're doing, they know the heart of why they've come to the place where they're at. The first generation that came out of Israel, they saw God do great things, they had a good leader in Moses. They knew what was going on. They understood why they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But in the process of their wilderness wanderings, they also saw God provide miraculously. Amen? Even though they were under judgment, as it were, they had to die in the wilderness, yet they saw God do great things. And, and they had miracles that they could see which told them God was real. They, they, they saw how their clothes didn't wear out, how their ankles didn't swell, their, their shoes didn't wear out, how God uh, brought manna and parted the Red Sea. And, and that generation had something that they could, they could hold on to and they could see and talk about. And there was no doubt that God was real. There was a man who was part of those who came out of Egypt. His name was Joshua. Joshua knew Moses, as we've, we've seen. In fact, 
He was Moses' right-hand man. He knew the heart of God, he knew the heart of Moses, and he knew the heart of the people. And because of that, when Moses passed away, and that first generation was off the scene, and the second generation was taken over, because Joshua had seen what had taken place in the first generation, the transition between the two and the continuance to go further really happened without a hitch. They, they just kept going. And there was no problems in that every, uh, because Joshua kind of had one hand in the old generation and one hand in the next generation. You understand what I'm saying? And, and he, he had both of that. And, and so he was able to move the people forward for God without any real issues. It was right after they mourned the death of Moses that they, they gathered themselves and they got ready to cross the river. And, and it wasn't long after that they went to war and they took the land. There was a good connection to the first generation. The second generation was able to continue what God had set in motion in the days of Moses. Uh, they too saw God do great things. And the second generation now had miracles that they were a part of. But what would happen when the second generation was off the scene? And it was time for the third generation. That's kind of what I want to focus on here. Remember, just going back to Joseph for a second, when he was sold into slavery, he ended up in Egypt. And there he became number two in the land. And really, he was just behind Pharaoh and he was running the country. And, and God meant all that for good, we know, and to save many alive. But by the time you get to Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8, we read this. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And once there was no connection back to Joseph, there was not an understanding really. There was not a connection uh, to what was going on. And, and they ended up in slavery. And they ended up a mess uh, there. There was no real connection back uh, to why they were there. And typically when you observe this principle, you'll find that the, the second generation is going to make or break the long-term success of any church, organization, whatever. And we see this, we, we see that sometimes the second generation remains strong, things will just keep continuing. And, and if the second generation comes up short and they drop the ball, it's bad. We see strength and transition from Moses to Joshua. We see that it was stronger from King Saul to King David. The Apostle Paul considered himself an apostle born out of due time. And, and after that first century uh, church, that very first church that Jesus Christ started, when he called out the disciples, and then Paul shows up and churches are being started all over the known world, we can see the, the second generation start to carry that on. And as I thought about this and, and closing out this series, I thought about our church. Obviously, we are now 40 years into this. We still have our founder. Amen. That was a good amen point, Jeff. We still have our founder. We still have a large core of the church, which knew Pastor Williams. We know his heart for God. We know his heart for the ministry. Many of us have served under his leadership, and we know how we ought to progress. We're now seeing the second generation step into place. 
we are now on our second generation pastor. We are now in our second generation press directorship. I'm, I'm including the buyers and the furs as the first generation. We are now in our second generation when it comes to song leaders. And thankfully, there's still some intermixing between the first generation and the second generation. We still have some folks that have been around here for a long time, and we're still serving side by side. And so I'm, I'm thankful that we have that intermixing of the two generations. And, and I believe the, the reason why we've seen things transition so smoothly here is because we understand the heart of the first generation. Everybody with me tonight? And we'll start building upon this a little bit, but preacher used to say, whoever God wants to take over as the pastor one day, I hope it's one who has a history in our church, one who has a heart Let me rephrase that, because it may not necessarily be someone that has a history, but somebody who knows the heartbeat of the church. And pastor used to say that in preacher boy's class, and and, and that was always the direction he wanted to see, because he understood the importance of keeping that connection to the first generation. Some ministries now are in the hands of those who already have had a history here, but are the second generation. And, and this is the danger in a church when all they do is just bring in somebody to take over because they have talent. Adrian and I have observed this in churches back home, and the pastor will labor there for 30 years, and they'll see great works of God, and yet when it comes time to step down, they just look out across the landscape and they pull somebody out who happens to be a good preacher. Well, that's wonderful, but if he's not called to be the pastor of that church, all you did was you picked based on talent, and then you got problems on your hand, which uh, has been the case. And so you just don't want to, you don't want the next generation who comes in just to be off the street. You want it to be somebody who understands the heart of the church. Amen. But you'll usually find that the first and second generations are typically pretty solid, usually, not always. They understand the history, they understand the heart, and often have seen some of the miracles from the past. But as I said, what happens when we get to the third generation? What happens when they begin to take over? What happens when there arises a generation who never knew Moses, who never knew Joshua? What happens? What happens when there arises a generation at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle which never knew Pastor Williams? In Joshua 13, (laughs) you should be there by now, we will read uh, several passages as we go, but just one verse here. Verse 1. Joshua 13, verse 1. Maybe I didn't tell you the chapter because I hear a lot of pages turning. Joshua chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Now Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years. (laughs) That's always funny, isn't it? Thank you, Lord. And there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. If you're in my age bracket, then... I want you to consider yourself the second generation of this church. 
What kind of legacy will we leave for the third generation? I see here that the first thing we must teach the third generation as they grow is that the work of the Lord is never done. There's always more to do. Joshua is now old. God is agreeing with that. And he's nearing the end of his life, but there remained very much land to be possessed. The work was not over. If you're in the third generation bracket of our church, don't ever look at what's been accomplished around here and assume that there's nothing left to be done. That there's no more ground to be taken. And my generation needs to make sure that they understand that. I think this is what hurt many great works in the past. The first generation had really labored. The second generation came on the scene and they understood what the first generation did to make that possible. And they carried on that work. But the third generation looked around and said, we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Go to Joshua chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for the elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And you have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. And so we find here that the second generation saw God work on their behalf. The first generation saw some great things. The second generation saw some great things. And they saw what God was doing to all the nations before them when they came into the land and, and they were driving out the inhabitants, how God had fought for them. And, and they experienced that. They knew it firsthand. And this group that Joshua is addressing here is the second generation but I'm sure at this point, it's also some of those third generation people who are now starting to step up into positions of leadership because by this time, a lot of time has passed and some of those old timers have passed off the scene and they had to be replaced with other people. And so what we're kind of seeing here, I think, is a blend between the two. And it's going to be over in Joshua chapter 24 where Joshua is going to look at the same group of people and he's going to tell them, choose you this day whom you are going to serve. And he's going to lay out a choice for them. And the people, of course, they say, we're going to serve God. We're not going to turn from what he commands. And that's what the third generation said they would do. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people. And he establishes that, that they would hearken to the word of God. And what I see in all of this, this particular stop here, is, look, the, the, the third generation, don't forget that there's a work to do. But also, there's a choice you have to make. And you need to make it early. There's a choice you have to make on whether or not you're going to serve God. Now, they said they did, but we know later on it was lip service. But uh, anyway, uh, Joshua chapter 24, we'll look at verse 31. Joshua 24, verse 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And so we see that as long as Joshua was alive, Israel served God. 
but he couldn't stay alive forever. <laughs> and, and so as long as Joshua was there, they're serving God, they continued to do so. As long as the elders who outlived Joshua were there, and those who knew the works of the Lord, and all who understood what God had done for Israel, they're the ones who served God. Those who had been through the wars of Canaan, those who had seen God's miraculous provision and had seen God fight on their behalf, these were the ones that they stayed with it. And, and, and all the people, they served God so long as they were there. And isn't that interesting? Because there was a tie back to the first generation. Everybody catching this? I'm going I'm to try to draw it together here in a minute. And, and so, that, because there was that, that heart back to that first generation that came out, so long as that line wasn't broken, there was a desire to serve God. Go to Judges chapter 2. Let's read verses 6 through 13. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Harris in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. What a sad discourse for Israel. After the second generation passed off the scene, there arose the third generation. They didn't know the works of God among Israel. And as a result, they didn't know God. Now, what happened to cause this? Because what's interesting here, did you catch God? And you'll find this throughout the Old Testament. He always goes back to that first generation. He always talks about when you came out of Egypt. And he does that here. He, 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 goes, he goes all the way back to when they came out of Egypt. He goes back to that first generation. And, and that first generation, they did their part. The second generation did their part. But once the wars of Canaan were over, everyone went to their inheritance. They went to their possession. They went to their tent. There were no more miraculous battles being won. And at that time, there was a contentment that came over the camp of Israel. And that led to compromise. Once they, once they got their inheritance, and, and once they settled down, they just kind of gave up. They just kind of got content. They kind of looked around and said, you know, we're doing okay. Okay. In Judges chapter 1, we'll, you'll read, uh, we're not going to go there and read it, but you'll read, after Joshua died, it says, Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. But the Jebusites 
dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. It says, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants. And that third generation failed. They gave up. They adopted the false gods of the inhabitants that were left in the land. And they became a snare to them. The Bible says they became thorns to their side. And it provoked God to anger that they had forsook Him. And I wanted to highlight tonight, do you see how quickly Israel spiraled downward after nobody else knew Joshua? All it takes is for that third generation to have no connection back to the first. And once that happens, we're heading for disaster. And you say, but there's no way the third generation is going to know everybody from the first generation. It's not a matter of knowing the people so much as it is knowing the heart. Knowing what they went through. Knowing what they gave up. Knowing what they fought for. And, and we see how quickly things got out of control for Israel. They compromised. They didn't finish the work that they had left to do. And they forsook their decision that they made before Joshua had died. We've seen this principle of the third and fourth generation today. What happened to the once great churches in America? What happened to the once great seminaries in America? Just two generations ago, some of these places were turning out godly servants. One of the saddest examples in recent years is the once great Highland Park Baptist Church. They started the once great Tennessee Temple. Where Pastor Williams graduated, I I think Brother Brock graduated from there as well. A lot of men, Myron Glatz was here, he, he was out of that. A lot of men came out of that. Dr. Lee Robertson took over at Highland Park Baptist Church in 1942. And he remained at the helm until 1983. During that time, Tennessee Temple was founded and the church grew to a membership in the tens of thousands. It was really one of the early megachurches in America. And the college grew to 4,000 in the early 80s, right before he stepped down. The second generation took over and The church and the university really never kept the same focus. And by the third generation, it was over. And I mean literally. Tennessee Temple's attendance continued to dwindle. And in 2015, they shut their doors, merging with another college. They are no more. Highland Park Baptist Church was once at the epicenter of the independent Baptist movement. They continued to see their attendance dwindle as the next generations came on. And you can read the articles. They tried all kind of compromising things and trends to try to get people to come in. Compromise began to set in 
until at last they dropped the name Baptist. And today they are known simply as the Church of the Highlands. It's one of the greatest demises in my life. That touches my life. What happened? There arose a generation which didn't know Dr. Lee Robertson. Compromise set in. What happened to all of these places that are like that? I was talking with uh, Sam and Mike Petraco before the morning service. What happened to Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon would preach to ten to 15,000 every week? What happened? Church after church are no longer even a shadow of what they once were. And it all started to fall apart in the third generation. And folks, I want to tell you tonight, we're raising the third generation. And to you second generation folks, what are they going to inherit from us? Will they understand that there is still an unfinished work to accomplish? And, and here's what really hit me in this thought. When the third generation is standing up here, are they going to have an arm reaching back to the first generation? Are they going to understand that heartbeat? Are they going to understand what liberty was about in November of 1979? Are they going to understand that? We can look at the previous generation and understand their heart. I believe every generation can live so godly that it can be like they were the first generation. I hope this makes sense what I'm trying to say tonight. I think we're trying to do that here. If we live strongly enough, second generation, I believe the third generation can look at us and see the strength of the first generation. And we can be viewed as a first generation type people. We don't have to end up like Israel. That's right. We don't have to end up like the churches that have fallen after the third and fourth generation and sometimes the second. We don't have to be like those places. We don't have to see the third generation falter. But we have to keep fighting. They stopped fighting. They had a work to do and they stopped. And because of that, the third generation never had anything that they could hang their hat on and see what, and they couldn't say, see what God did for us? What's going to happen when a generation rises up and they don't know how Brett Foley was called to be the printer here? What's going to happen when a generation rises up and they don't know how the church stepped out on faith to go acquire a print press? I'll tell you what will happen if we don't keep that fresh and we don't keep that real, that thing's going to, it's going to stop. Because people will lose their heart for it. What's going to happen if the third generation doesn't understand that a man by the name of H. Wayne Williams went to Pierre and fought for the rights for us to educate in Christian schools, in homeschool? We'll shut her down. We have to keep some sort of a, a tie to that first generation. And the only way we can really do that is through our hearts. Because there's going to reach a point where nobody ever knew the first generation. Lord willing, if he tarries. 
But if, if we keep passing down that heart that we have for God, that love that we have for His Bible, the reason why we do what we do, why we are here, then that third and that fourth generation, they can rise up and they can do the work of God and they can go forward and they can take land and claim it for Christ. I'll tell you what. And Brother Long, I know we've talked about it. We need an undeniable move of God. That the next generation can see with their eyes and they can say, I know there's a God in heaven. And if you're in that third generation category, don't you ever look around and say, there's nothing left to be done. There's always more ground to conquer for Christ. Shopco's for sale. I stopped there this morning and prayed. I just want to challenge my generation to step up. Stay with it. Stay in the fight for God. Because some are showing signs of complacency. But let's keep showing the next generation how it's to be done. How we're to do things. How we honor God. So that when their time comes, they can view us in the light of a first generation type people. So that we never lose that connection back to our founding. And we never lose the heart of God in all that we're doing. Let's pray.